Well, before we turn our hearts to God's word, uh, let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity to worship and to sing about this beautiful name of Jesus and to know of your furious love that drives out our sin. And just, we just thank you for being here, that we could be here. And that you are here with us. And, and as we begin, Father, we pray today that you would help us to see things in our lives that, that you want to work on, that you want to help us with, that you, that you desire to happen in our lives. Lord, uh, we know that we're to be, to be in the world. You've placed us here for a purpose. But we also know that, that we're not to be of the world. And, and we confess today, we don't always know where that line is. So would you teach us today? from your word, would you help us to see where those lines are so that we can have a redemptive influence in this world? Father, uh, we want so much to spread this news, so, so speak to us now in these next few minutes, and we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are in this series, or starting this series called Life in Babylon, and we're going to study a book that maybe you've never studied before. It's the book of Daniel. Now, I really like that name. I don't know resonates with me, you know. My parents gave me a couple of biblical names, uh, Daniel, and my middle name is Joseph. And, and I think they did that because they knew as I grew older that I would need a few reminders about God's claim on my life. And they were right. They were absolutely right. But the book of Daniel is so important for us because, well, it, it helps us to see how somebody can navigate a cultural shift, a cultural change. And uh, so we're going to study it for the next three weeks, starting today. Now, whenever a cultural change happens, there's a line from an old movie that often gets used. And, and I just thought it'd be fun for us to see that line once again. So just watch this. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Oh, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Wake up, Toto, you're not in Kansas anymore. Oh, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Not in Kansas anymore. My parents were born in Kansas. <laughs> well, we're not in Kansas anymore. Where are we? Well, we're not in Kansas anymore. Illinois. <laughs> Not sure what that means, but we'll just leave that lay. So, Toto, I'm not sure we're in Kansas anymore. That's what we say a lot of times when something has changed, circumstances have changed dramatically. And that was the case for Daniel. His circumstance changed radically. And so as we study the book, what we really want to do is we want to say from Daniel's story, what can we learn? Because Daniel, even though he was in this very different culture, he was able to have this redemptive influence on, his, on the society and culture of Babylon. Let me just ask you the question. Do you guys feel that, that shift? Do you feel a shift in our culture? Anybody with me on that? Yeah. If you've lived longer, you probably do. Maybe not if you're younger, but there is a shift going on. I mean, a lot of the stuff that... that the kids in the 60s did that was illegal is now legal today? I don't know what that is. It's changed in so many different ways. It's, it's absolutely changed. 
Let's talk a minute about culture. I mean, so there are people that say that we live in a culture that is as diverse as the Roman Empire, that nothing since the Roman Empire has been as diverse as our country, the United States of America. Culture is that character, the characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people encompassing language and values and religion and cuisine and social habits and music and arts. And that all wraps up together to be called culture. Now here's the problem. Those cultures collide, don't they? And when they collide, it is not always a pretty picture. Because people feel strongly about all those things. And, and there's usually, almost always, a prevailing culture that is trying to shape everything. And so we have this setup for a difficult time as Christians, especially as our culture has changed. We have more and different kinds of uh, restaurants than ever before, international foods. Why? Because we have all these different cultures that are combining in our country. And, and in some ways, that's really a cool thing. And in other ways, it brings some challenges. Yesterday, I rode my bike up to, uh, to the uh, Veggie Fest. You know, that's the opposite of the Rib Fest. <laughs> Look at the diversity in that picture at the Veggie Fest. And, and I just have to tell you that the Veggie Fest is a reflection of culture. And it's different than a lot of our culture. Had a conversation with the lady there. See, I, I put on my Trinity t-shirt. It says, it says, more like Jesus on it, you know. And I go walking around the Veggie Fest. And every booth I walk up to, they're going, what? You do it? What? What is that? So I got to have some good conversations. And I had a conversation with the lady who's, um, who's uh, a member of the, the Science of Spirituality Church that sponsors this event. And she says to me, she says, I left my Christian religion in order to find the inner light that is within me. Cultures collide. And what do I do at the Veggie Fest in five minutes with that? I asked her, I said, well, what about Jesus? You know about Jesus. And you can see Jesus is just one among many great prophets that have helped us find our inner light. This is the world we live in. It's quite different and diverse. Now, you know, instead of saying, oh boy, that's terrible, we also could say, wow, we have an opportunity. But sometimes it makes us diff uh, uncomfortable to be in these different kind of cultures. I mentioned the fact that we were on vacation, and one of the things we did is we, we partook of a little bit of music from the past, you know, classic rock and roll. And uh, we went to a concert. Now I was just a little apprehensive about going to a concert because I remember what concerts were like when I was younger. <laughs> I remember that. And so we went to this concert. We heard a lot of great bands, including Journey. And uh, I got to tell you, it was completely safe. They were all 60 or older. <laughs> no problems. They were just there to hear the rock and roll heroes one more time before they kicked the bucket. <laughs> it was safe. But, you know, culture does make us sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable when it's different. And, and, and there was a time in our country where we thought we were the prevailing culture. Maybe never really true, but we thought so. Certainly closer to biblical values than it is possibly today. Shouldn't surprise us that we feel this way. 
Look what Jesus prayed right before he was crucified. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Notice that? It's not that we're to escape or to go build some walls. We're, not, we're to be in the world. But he says, look, I ask you that you keep them from the evil one. Don't let him have their, his way with them. But they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. It's the idea that, well, we should not be, we should not be of the world, but we are going to be in the world. And the question is, where do we draw those lines with culture? And how can we use our presence to be that redemptive influence in a culture that is quite different? This is the, uh, this is the circumstance that Daniel found himself in. Peter writes about, writes about it like this. He says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. That's what he calls us. Like, this isn't really our country. This isn't really our land. We're in this foreign culture, this different culture, but we're there, if you read the rest of the verse, for a purpose, a redemptive purpose, so that other people, so that what pagans, people who don't follow Christ, would, well, they might someday glorify God. This is, this is the circumstance Daniel found himself in. He's, he's by force exiled into Babylon. We pick up with that story at the beginning of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And we see it was the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Well, I'll explain that in just a minute. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. He, he invaded it. He took it by force. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them, he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Competing religions, competing worldviews, competing cultures. And they collide, and it's not pretty. By force, Nebuchadnezzar takes Israel. Now, if you've never studied, if you've never run through the Bible, and again, I'll put another plug in for that, see uh, the person at the desk, I think it's going to be Marge Franson after service, you might not know about those kingdoms, those kingdom of Judah, kingdom of Israel, and how all that came about. You see, God brought the Israelites to a land and to establish a culture. This is the land today, but in 1400 B.C., or 1,200, depending on which historian you're looking at or listening to, there was this gathering of God's people. They entered into the promised land, and they were given some very clear um, redemptive influence instructions of how to behave, who to worship, what to do, what not to do. Unfortunately, just a few hundred years, they became a divided kingdom. Israel in the north with ten tribes... And Judah in the southern kingdom. Now the problem is, uh, you're much weaker, of course, when you divide. And uh, that culture, that northern kingdom, disappears because it's invaded by the Syrians and hauled off into exile. And we're left with Judah. And that's the reference in the book of Daniel in the first chapter. Judah. Nebuchadnezzar comes and he overtakes Judah. He, he takes Jerusalem, he takes stuff out of the temple, those sacred vessels that are so prized as a part of Judaism, and he puts it in their temple. 
and we see for, for, 800, or for 800 miles away, he takes those people into Babylon, into the city of Babylon, and they stay there for 70 years exiled. Now, you think about why that happened. It happened because, well, the Israelites weren't following God's instructions on being a redemptive culture. They weren't living in accordance to God's values and directions. And so God says, okay, then I'll place you in those cultures. I'll take you into exile. I'll put you there. And that's what we'll see. Daniel will have a redemptive presence in Babylon where he lives his life. You know, uh, the first thing I want you to understand about cultures is that they collide. I've used that phrase several times. And recognize that 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 will continue from now until Jesus comes back. Cultures are always going to disagree. They're always going to have different values. They're always going to be going like this. There's always going to be tension between the two of them. And sometimes, as this picture shows, the sacking of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, it gets ugly. I thought as I read my news feed this morning of Virginia and how ugly that culture clash is. And, and, you know, you don't have to look very far in the news every day to see examples of cultural clashes where people are just, just acting and behaving in ways and hurting one another because they just believe strongly about what they believe, who they worship or don't worship. Well, Daniel's story continues. And uh, the king commanded Ashpenaz, his eunuch, his chief eunuch, to bring the people of, of Israel, or Judah, that word is used now interchangeably, both of the royal family and nobility, youths without blemish and good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. You see, the, the challenge now of Nebuchadnezzar is he had to enculturate the people that he had conquered. So who's he invite? Who's he, who's he bring over in force? He didn't invite them. He brought them forcefully. Who'd he do? Hey, who'd he bring? The youth. He wouldn't, he wouldn't bother with an old man like me. I'm too set in my ways. Too stubborn. But he brought the youth because youth are, are shapeable and they're moldable. And the four youth that we'll be talking about throughout this series are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And, and we'll see how their presence in Babylon was used by God for a redemptive purpose. But he brings, he brings the kids. And I'm just constantly amazed in our culture today how much is targeted at our kids. There's a reason for that. Because their minds are moldable and shapeable. And if you want to change the world, you change that generation, the next generation changes, right? You've seen it, you've heard those kinds of descriptions about how to make change. And it's true, and Nebuchadnezzar knew it. Now, when I was growing up, you know, there was an invasion of a different kind. Um, you got, anybody remember this invasion? Yeah, the, the British invasion, right? The British invasion, rock and roll came to our shores. Now, my uh, parents were very, very hesitant about letting us own Beatles records. Anybody with me? I mean, did anybody have that happen at home? Anybody remember that? Maybe not. Yeah, my, my parents said, no. Nah. You know, I was, I was young. 
I was shapeable, and they were not certain about what the message of rock and roll was all about. And so they said, no, no records. I still remember. I finally got to buy a record, but not until the monkeys came along did I actually get a record. I didn't get to get many Beatles records, you know, and certainly not the Rolling Stones. Sometimes we do. We have to, for parents, we have to say no for our kids because we don't know or the influence, the enculturation is not good. And if you're a, if you're a child here today, if you're a young person here today, would you just pay attention to your parents? Just, just, just trust me on this. That, that they are just trying to protect you because in my life, I can tell you that rock and roll's influence has not always been the best thing for me. So when they, when they limit your viewing or listening or whatever, would you just, just maybe think about it a little bit and talk about it a little bit because it's important. It's a lesson we can learn. From the story of Daniel. Well, the story continues. King assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and wine that he drank. Now, that's pretty good for teenagers, right? These guys are 15 years old. They got food, right? That's good. Food is good. And three years at three years at Nebuchadnezzar U to be taught all of these wonderful things. And uh, of course, you know, you're sitting there thinking, well, how would they have seen that opportunity? Would they have been scared? They were forcibly drug, drugged into exile. But you also have to realize where they were going. Not many of us have studied the nature of Babylon. Maybe you had a course on it in world history. But I was able to find Babylon. You know, it's, there's archaeological ruins in Iraq just south of Baghdad that show the magnificence of this city. And here these country guys from Jerusalem would be brought into Babylon. Take a look at this computer animation that shows some of the features of the city. The walls were 300 feet tall. The top of the walls could be used for chariot races. They were so tall. There's this Ishtar gate, this magnificent gate into the city. There's a river that runs through that. This is big enough for 200,000 people to live in. There were hanging gardens that was one of the seven wonders of the world. And there were these tall monuments to the Babylonian gods. And that's where, that's where these young men would have been brought. And you just wonder, don't you, about the impact it had on their thinking? I mean, their God was supposed to be most powerful, but look at this city, doesn't it just exude power and prosperity? You see, today, enculturation by the prevailing culture is often done from such places of power like Hollywood or from sports, professional sports. When these people speak, our kids and we listen like they have some authority. Or, or possibly the mega corporations that control different areas of our life, so much of our lives that we're so dependent upon. As I was reminded this week when my computer on Friday, right in the middle of writing this sermon, it just went, go, what do I do now? Or even our government. I mean, th th this enculturation goes on all the time. And it doesn't always lead us and our children towards God. So understanding that enculturation 
It's part of the way culture is spread. It's spread by this messaging, all these different ways. Now, part of enculturation, one of the things that not only did Daniel get schooling, not only was he brought to a place that was impressive, not only did he have all that he wanted to eat, but he also, he also got his name changed. And this is a, this is a technique, is to, is to make sure that you take away identity when you're enculturating someone. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they had Hebrew names that related to God. And uh, they became... Well, you know the, probably know the words from an old Sunday school song or a Sunday school. They became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, Daniel became Belshazzar. Those were purposeful the names. They were not random. Those names actually pointed them away from their Hebrew roots and towards the gods of Babylon. And this is what... This is what this is what enculturation does. It begins to try to relabel you, to make you something different. And, and what, what, what it does is it forces us to ask the question, where is your identity? And today, the, the labels that people put, get, they, you know, they, get, they get rich or poor, powerful or not powerful. They get broken or divorced or an addict. And even, even defining our identity by our sexuality or gender. It's, it's, we get all these labels and it's designed specifically because it obscures our true identity. Who we are in Christ. Forgiven, loved, children of God. Well, Daniel has resolve. He said, wait a minute. At some point, I'm going to have to say no. I can, I can handle the... Nebuchadnezzar, you, I, I can handle the name change, but I'm going to resolve, I'm going to place it on my heart. In other words, I'm going to say no. I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food and what he drank. That's a pretty bold statement for a teenager, don't you think? I mean, a teenager who would be hungry all the time, don't you remember being a teen? If you're a teenager, if you're a boy, if you're a man, you know, okay? Food is important for teenagers, very important. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to eat that stuff. And he knows because he makes that choice because God had given them very specific dietary laws in the Old Testament. We aren't bound by those laws, so understand that. You can go to rib fest or you can go to veggie fest, either one, no problem. But he said, he said no, because God said so, I'm not going to. This is a dangerous move, a dangerous move. And you see it because the eunuch says to Daniel, look, I fear him, the Lord, my king, who assigned you your food and drink, that he's going to look at you and you're going to be in worse condition than the other youths who are your own age. And that's going to endanger my head. Heads will roll, the eunuch says. And I don't, I don't want that to happen to me or to you, Daniel. But Daniel's steadfast. Even though, you know, like when I was a teenager, this would be me anywhere near a fast food joint right there. Okay, but Daniel says, uh-uh, no. And he brings his three companions with him. And this is what we see. He says, he says look, I'm going to pose to you a test. Test your servants for 10 days. Give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. So Daniel would have been right home at the veggie fest, right? 
And, and, and they do that. And after 10 days, God does a miracle. Now, here's what I want you to catch. When you say no, when you say, look, I'm going to do something specifically to show that God is the most important part of my life. When you do that, when you make a decision to say no to culture, God does, he does miracles. Talked last night to a couple that I've been working with for some time, and they gave me permission to tell their story. And they've been living together, and, and they said, you know, we decided we're going to do it God's way. The guy's moving out. And lo and behold, the day they made that decision, there was healing and restoration with his son who, who called in the morning, of, the morning of his wedding and said, Dad, I changed my mind. You need to come. Because he had said, no, you can't come to my wedding if you're going to marry, if you're going to live with that woman. See, God does miracles when we say no, when we set aside our own will, when we say, God, whatever you want. We can have redemptive potential in what, we, in what we say no to when we say no to the culture. And so that's what happens. He does a miracle, and 10 days later, God shows, shows up, and, and their appearance, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And then after three years, um, there was no one like them. I mean, they were top of the class. And, and they had gained a position in society, a miracle, a position in a pagan society that worshipped other gods so that they could have redemptive purpose in that society. We're going to see that in the next couple of weeks, how God uses them to make a major impact in Babylon. So let me just ask you a little question here. So what one thing is God asking you to do in order to demonstrate what really matters in your life? I mean, if you look at your life, and we intersect with culture in so many ways, there's just no way for me to know. But if, if there's just one way that you just say, you know, God, I, I know, I've, you've been wrestling, I've been wrestling with that. that. Maybe it's something, you, you, the way you use your time. Maybe it's the way you use your money. Maybe it's, maybe it's the lack of friendships you have with people who are, who are different than you. I don't know. But what, what's one thing that, that, that would fit that category? It's, it's, it's hard to imagine Daniel having so much resolve. But Daniel had so much resolve because he knew who God was. We talk about the first commandment, you should have no other gods. We talk about fear, love, and trust. And that was Daniel. And that needs to be us too. That, we would, that we'd understand that relationship with God. That we'd be reverent in that and, and know that he has a plan and purpose. That we'd experience his love, that furious love we sang about that takes care of our sin. And if we need resolve, if we need resolve in our hearts, we, it's important. You can't find that. You can't just make that up. You get that through your relationship with God. He strengthens you to say no in areas of your life. See, the world wants you to eat from a table that looks good, but ultimately it'll kill you. It, it may be enticing, but it's not good for you. And we have to learn to discern and know when to go and when not to go into culture and when to accept it. And Jesus, well, he wants, to eat you, he wants you to eat from this table. His body, his blood that gives life, forgiveness, eternity, 
strengthens us to live for him, reassures us of his grace. That's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Where do you need to say in some area of your life, no, I, I'm, I'm going to follow God's plan. I'm just going to make a small change. God can do a miracle with that. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I pray that you will be strengthened. Wherever God is moving you right now, that you would be strengthened to take that step. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for the gift of the body and blood of Christ that we are about to receive. Because it is a, it's a nourishing table. It's a king, the king's table where we should want to eat. Because it gives us resolve. It helps us to understand, remember who we are in Christ. That our sins have been forgiven. That we are to live for you. And we pray this morning that you would strengthen our resolve. That you would allow us to place on our hearts the decisions that need to be made. That we could live with redemptive purpose in this world. The people could see the differences in us. You could do a miracle through that and that things could change because we are living fully in that redemptive potential. Just bless this gift that we are about to receive. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ, or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T L C the number four, and the letter U, dot org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.